You can catch up on all the latest Alliance Audio episodes wherever you find podcasts. Or you could download the Spotify app on your device for free. Be sure to follow Alliance Audio for notifications every time we release. Welcome to part two of chapter six. I am, you know, it's just like me to say, oh, I'll be doing, I'll be doing frequent episodes from now on. And then I take like a week's break. I'm extremely sorry for that. It, I would love to say it won't happen again, but it will happen again. Because a funny story, this uh, was for my component B thing in my school baccalaureate is this thing where like you have to do a creative thing so yeah uploads might be a bit less frequent from now on since i'm not really relying on it anymore but i will be sure to keep on putting episodes out as frequently as i can okay let's start reading and he and Harry led the way into the shop. It was packed with customers. Harry could not get near the shelves. He stared around, looking up at the boxes to the ceiling. Harry could not get near the shelves. He stared around, looking up at the boxes piled to the ceiling. Here were the skeeving snack boxes that the twins had perfected during their last unfinished year at Hogwarts. Harry noticed that the nosebleed nougat was the most popular, with only one battered box left on the shelf. There were bins full of trick ones, the cheapest merely turning into rubber chickens or pairs of briefs when waved. The most expensive, beating the unwary user around the head and neck, and boxes of quills, which came in self-inking, spell-checking, and smart-answer varieties. A space cleared in the crowd, and Harry pushed his way toward the counter where a gaggle of delighted ten-year-olds were watching a tiny little wooden man slowly ascending the steps to a real set of gallows, both perched on a box that read, Reusable Hangman, he'll spell it, oh, spell it, or he'll swing. Patented daydream charms? Hermione had managed to squeeze through a large display near the counter, was reading the information on the back of the box, bearing a highly coloured picture of a handsome youth and a swooning girl who was standing on the deck of a pirate ship. One simple incantation, and you all enter a top-quality, highly realistic, 30-minute daydream, easy to fit into the average school lesson and virtually undetectable. Side effects may include vacant expression and minor drooling, not for sale to under-16s. You know, said Hermione, looking up at Harry, that is really extraordinary magic. For that, Hermione, said a voice behind them, you can have one for free. A beaming thread stood before them, wearing a set of magenta robes that clashed magnif- magnificently with his flaming hair. How are you, Harry? They shook hands. And what's happened to your eye, Hermione? Your punching telescope, she said ruefully. Oh, blimey, I forgot about those, said Fred. Here, he pulled a tub out of his pocket and handed it to her. She unscrewed it gingerly to reveal a thick, yellow paste. Just dab it on. That bruise will be gone within the hour, said Fred. We had to find a decent bruise remover. We're testing out most of our products on ourselves. Hermione looked nervous. It's safe, isn't it? She asked. Of course it is, said Fred bracingly. Come on, Harry, I'll give you a tour. 
Harry left Hermione dabbing her black eye with the paste and followed Fred towards the back of the shop where he saw a stand of card and rope tricks. Muggle magic tricks, said Fred happily, pointing them out. For freaks like Dad, you know, who love muggle stuff. It's not a big earner, but we do fairly steady business. They're great novelties. Oh, here's George. Fred's twin shook hand, shook Harry's hand energetically. Giving him the tour? Come through the back, Harry. That's where we're making the real money. Pocket anything and you'll pay more in galleons, he added warningly to a small boy who hastily whipped his hand out of the tub labelled Edible Dark Marks. They'll make anyone sick. George pushed back a curtain beside the muggle tricks and Harry saw a darker, less crowded room. The packaging on the products lining these shelves was more subdued. We've just developed this more serious line, said Fred. Funny how it happened. You wouldn't believe how many people, even people who work at the ministry, can't do a decent shield charm, said George. Of course they haven't. Of course they didn't have you teaching them, Harry. That's right. Well, we thought shield hats were a bit of a laugh, you know. Challenge your mate to jinx you while wearing it and watch his face when the jinx just bounces off. But the ministry bought 500 of for all its support staff, and we're still getting massive orders. So we've expanded into a range of shield cloaks, shield gloves. I mean, they don't help much against the unforgivable curses, but for minor to moderate hexes or jinxes. And then we thought we'd get into a whole idea of defensive defence against the dark arts, because it's such money spinner, continued George enthusiastically. This is cool. Look, instant darkness powder. We're importing it from Peru. Handy if you want to make a quick escape. And our decoy destinators are just walking off the shelves. Look, said Fred, pointing at a number of weirdly looking black horn type objects that were indeed attempting to scurry out of sight. You just drop one surreptitiously and it'll run off and make a nice loud noise out of sight, giving you a diversion if you need one. Andy, said Harry, impressed. Here, said George, catching a couple and throwing them to Harry. A young witch with short blonde hair poked her head around the curtain. Harry saw that she too was wearing magenta staff robes. There's customer out here looking for a joke cauldron, Mr Weasley and Mr Weasley, she said. Harry found it very odd to hear Fred and George called Mr Weasley, but they took it in their stride. Right you are, Verity. I'm coming, said George promptly. Harry, you help yourself to anything you want, right? No charge. I can't do that, said Harry who had already pulled out his money bag to pay for the decoy detonators. You don't pay here, said Fred firmly, waving away Harry's gold. But you gave us our start-up loan. We haven't forgotten, said George sternly. Take whatever you like and just remember to tell people where he got it, if they ask. George swept off through the curtain to help with customers, and Harry laid back to the main part of the shop to find Hermione and Ginny, still poring over the patented daydream charms. Haven't you girls found our special Wonder Witch products yet? asked Fred. Follow me, ladies. Near the window was an array of violently pink products with a cluster of excited girls giggling enthusiastically around it. Hermione and Ginny both hung back, looking wary. There you go, said Fred proudly. Best range of love potions you'll find anywhere. Ginny raised an eyebrow sceptically. Do they work? she asked. Certainly they work, for up to 24 hours at a time, depending on the weight of the boy in question. And the attractiveness of the girl, said George, reappearing suddenly at their side.
But we're not selling them to our sister, he added, becoming suddenly stern. Not when she's already got about five boys on the go from what we've... I lost the line. But can I just say, I'm really sorry. I have not read in aloud in about a week. It truly is awful. Um, I, I'm i just so sorry. <laughs> uh, whatever you heard from Ron is a big fat lie, said Ginny calmly. Oh, calmly, oh my god. Whatever you've heard from Ron is a big fat lie, said Ginny calmly, leaning forward to take a small pink pot off the shelf. What's this? Guaranteed ten second pimple vanisher, said Fred. Excellent on everything from boils to blackheads, but don't change the subject. Are you not currently going out with a boy called Dean Thomas? Yes, I am, said Ginny. Last time I looked, he was definitely one boy, not five. What are those? She was pointing at a number of round balls and fluff and shades of pink and purple, all rolling around the bottom of the cage and emitting high-pitched squeaks. Pygmy puffs, said George. Venture puff schemes. We can't breed them fast enough. So what about Michael Corner? I dumped him. He was a bad loser, said Ginny, putting her finger right through the bars of the cage and watching the pygmy puffs crowd around it. They're really cute. They're fairly cuddly, yes, conceded Fred. But you're moving through boyfriends a bit fast, aren't you? Ginny turned to look at him, her hands on her hips. There was such a Mrs Weasley-ish glare on her face that Harry was surprised Fred didn't recoil. It's none of your business. And I'll thank you, she added angrily to Ron, who had just appeared at George's el- elbow, laden with merchandise. Not to tell tales about me to these two. That's three galleons, nine sickles and a nut, said Fred, examining the min- many boxes in Ron's arms. Cough up. I'm your brother. That's our stuff you're nicking. Three galleons, nine sickles. I'll knock off the nut. But I haven't got three galleons, nine sickles. You better put it back then. Mind you put it on the right shelves. Ron dropped several boxes, swore, and made a rude hand gesture at Fred that was unfortunately spotted by Mrs Weasley, who had chosen that moment to appear. If I see you doing that again, I'll put... <laughs> I I really do apologise for my reading. There really is no excuse. Back to the book. If I see you do that again, I'll jinx your fingers together, she said sharply. Mum, can I have a pygmy puff? said Ginny at once. A what? said Mrs Weasley wearily. Look, they're so sweet. Mrs Weasley moved aside to look at the pygmy puffs, and Harry, Ron and Hermione momentarily had an unimpeded view out of the window. Draco Malfoy was hurrying up the street alone. As he passed Weasley's wizard wheezes, he glanced over his shoulder. Seconds later, he moved beyond the scope of the window, and they lost sight of him. Wonder where his mummy is, said Harry, frowning. Given her the slip by the looks of it, said Ron. Why, though? said Hermione. Harry said nothing. He was thinking too hard. Narcissa Malfoy would not have to let her precious song out of her sight willingly. Malfoy must have made a real effort to free himself from her clutches. Harry, knowing and loathing Malfoy, was sure the reason he could not... Mm, was sure the reason could not be innocent. He glanced around Mrs Weasley and Ginny, who were bending a... This sheet that I'm reading off, this online sheet, it has spelling mistakes in. This is absolutely awful. 
I mean, I'm not blaming. Honestly, no, I'm sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> anyway, back to that. Mrs. Weasley and Jenny were bending over the pygmy puffs. Mr. Weasley was delightedly examining a pack of muggle marked playing cards. Friend George were both helping customers. On the other side of the glass, Highgrove was standing with his back to them, looking up and down the street. Get on to here, quick said Harry, pulling his invisibility cloak out of his bag. Oh, I don't know, Harry, said Hermione, looking uncertainly towards Mrs. Weasley. Come on, said Ron. She hesitated for a second longer, then ducked under the cloak with Harry and Ron. Nobody noticed them vanish. They were all too interested in Fred and George's products. Harry, Ron, and Hermione squeezed their way out of the door as quickly as they could, but by the time they gained the street, my foy had disappeared just as successfully as they had. He was going in that direction, murmured Harry. Oh. He was going in that direction, murmured Harry, as quietly as possible, so that the humming Hagrid would not hear them. Come on. They scurried along, peering left and right through shop windows and doors, until Hermione pointed ahead. That's him, isn't it? She whispered, turning left. Big surprise, whispered Ron. For Malfoy had glanced around, then slid into the nocturne alley and out of sight. Quick, or we'll lose him, said Harry, speeding up. Our feet will be seen, said Hermione anxiously, as the cloak flapped a little around their ankles. It was much more difficult hiding all three of them under the cloak nowadays. It doesn't matter, said Harry impatiently. Just hurry! But nocturne alley, the side street devoted to the dark arts, looked completely deserted. They peered into windows as they passed but none of the shops seemed to have any customers at all. I supposed it was a bit of a giveaway in these dangerous and sp suspicious times to buy dark artefacts, or at least to be seen buying them. Hermione gave Sam a hard pinch. Ouch! Shh! Look, he's in there! She breathed in Harry's ear. They had drawn level with the only shop in Nocturne Alley that Harry had ever visited, Borgin and Burke's, which sold a wide variety of sinister objects. There in the midst of the cases full of skulls and old bottles stood Draco Malfoy, with his back to them, just visible beyond the very same large black cabinet in which Harry had once hidden to avoid Malfoy and his father. Judging by the movements of Malfoy's hands, he was talking animatedly. And, and in, yeah, animatedly. <laughs> the, the proprietor the owner of the shop, Mr. Borkin, an oily-haired, stooping man, stood facing Malfoy. He was wearing a curious expression of mingled resentment and fear. If only we could hear what they're saying, said Hermione. We can, said Ron excitedly. Hang on, damn. He dropped a couple more of the boxes he was still clutching as he fumbled with the largest. Extendable ears, look. Fantastic, said Hermione as Ron unravelled the long, flesh-coloured strings and began to feed them toward the bottom of the door. Oh, I hope this door isn't imperturbable. No, said Ron gleefully. Listen. They put their heads together, and they listened intently to the end of the strings, through which Malfoy's voice could be heard loud and clear, as though a radio had been turned on. You know how to fix it? Possibly, said Borgin, in a tone that suggested he was on the unwilling to commit himself. I'll need to see it though. Why don't you just bring it into the shop? I can't, said Malfoy. It's got to stay put. 
I just need you to tell me how to do it. Harry saw Borgin lip his, lick his lips nervously. Well, without saying it, I must say it will be a very difficult job. Perhaps impossible. Couldn't guarantee anything. No, said Malfoy. And Harry knew, just by his tone, that Malfoy was sneering. Perhaps this will make you more confident. Confident. He moved toward Bergen and was blocked from view by the cabinet. Harry, Ron and Hermione shuffled sideways to try and keep him in sight. But all they could see was Borgen, looking very frightened. Tell anyone, said Malfoy, and there will be retribution. You know Fenro Greyback? He's a family friend. He'll be dropping in from time to time to make sure you're giving the problem your full attention. There'll be no need for... I'll decide that, said Malfoy. Well, I'd better be off. And don't forget to keep that one safe. I'll need it. Perhaps you'd like to take it now? Oh, of course I wouldn't, you stupid little man. How would I look carrying that down the street? Just don't sell it. Of course not, sir. Borgen made a bow as deep as the one Harry had seen him give Lucius Malfoy. Not a word to anyone, Borgen. And that includes my mother. Understand? Naturally, naturally, murmured Borgen, bowing again. Next moment, the bell over the door tinkled loudly as Malfoy stalked out of the shop, looking very pleased with himself. He passed so close to Harry, Ron and Hermione that they felt the cloak flutter around their knees again. Inside the shop, Borgen remained frozen. His un unctuous smile had vanished. He looked worried. What's that about? whispered Ron, reeling in the extendable ears. Dunno, said Harry, thinking hard. He wants something mended, and he wants to reserve something in there. Could you see what he pointed at when he said that one? No, he was behind that cabinet. You two stay here. What are you... But Hermione had already ducked out from under the cloak. She tucked her hair in the reflection in the class, then marched into the shop, setting the bell tinkling again. Ron hastily fed the extendable ears back under the door and passed one of the strings to Harry. Hello, horrible morning, isn't it? said Hermione, brightly to Borgen, who did not answer, but cast her a suspicious look. Humming cheerily, cheerily Hermione strode through the jumble of objects on display. Is this necklace for sale? she asked, pausing but beside a glass-fronted case. She got one and a half thousand galleons, said Mr. Bulkin coldly. Oh, uh, no, I haven't got quite that much, said Hermione, walking on. What about this lovely, um, skull? Sixteen galleons. So it's for sale, then? It isn't being kept for anyone? Mr. Borgin squinted at her. Harry had the nasty feeling he knew exactly what Hermione was up to. Apparently, Hermione felt she had been rumbled to, because she suddenly threw caution to the winds. The thing is that um, the boy who was here just now, Draco Malfoy, well, he's a friend of mine, and I want to get him a birthday present, but if he's already reserved anything, obviously don't want to get him the same thing. So, um, it was a pretty lame story, in Harry's opinion, and apparently Borgin thought so too. Out, he said sharply. Get out! Hermione did not wait to be asked twice, but hurried to the door with Borgin at her heels. As the bell tinkled again, Borgin slammed the door behind her and put up the closed sign. Oh, well, said Ron, throwing the cloak back over Hermione. Worth a try, but you're a bit obvious. Next time you can show me how it's done, master of mystery, she snapped. Ron and Hermione bickered all the way back to Weasley's Wizard Weezers. 
and there they were, where they were forced to stop so that they could dodge undetected around a very anxious-looking Mrs. Weasley and Hagrid, who had clearly noticed their absence. Once in the shop, Harry whipped off the invisibility cloak, hid it in his bag, and joined in with the two when they insisted, in answer to Mrs. Weasley's accusations, that they had been in the back room all along, and that she could not have looked properly. Okay, that is the end of chapter six. I am extremely sorry you had to listen to that. That I have no excuse for why I was so bad at reading today. <laughs> anyway, I that's basically all I have to say. I'm very sorry. And um, I will see you next time. Take care. Bye.